So ever since I started this series of how the year was won, I get a lot of comments from college football fans about me covering the 2007 season. And yes, I know that was a crazy season and I will cover that in the future, but I wanted to cover other college football seasons that had really big significance. That's what uh, I covered in earlier episodes, but I also wanted to cover some other crazy seasons. And over these next two episodes, I'm going to be covering a year in college football that was on par with 2007 in terms of craziness. The year was 1990. Now, the year of 1990 might be the best rival for 2007 for craziest college football season because it felt like the number one team changed every week. And even when the season ended, the debate still raged on as to who should be the national champion. But in this episode, I hope to cover the major players, teams, games, that made this season on par with the craziness of 2007. This is the year of 1990 and how the year was won in college football. But before I get to the 1990 season, just a heads up, most of the audio from this podcast is going to be from the video of How the Year Was Won 1990 from my YouTube channel. Uh, you can check out the link in the description or just by going to YouTube and searching Wrong Sports. Uh, so make sure you check that out after you listen to this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, please, and check out my Patreon, patreon.com slash wrong sports, and you can check out all of my social media as well my twitter at wrong sports but now strap on in as we get to how the year was won 1990 so before I start the 1990 season, a few things to tell you up front. There will be a lot of teams to cover this season, so I won't be introducing them all up front. Instead, I will tell you about the important teams as we travel through this season. There are going to be over a dozen teams that I will mention and cover and then I will get more into, so that is why I don't want to tell you all about them up front because it's just going to get too crazy and you're just going to forget about them maybe. And, and also, I just want to keep you going through the year and on this story. Finally, I may not go too much into detail with every team I mention, otherwise I'll just go down the rabbit hole and this story will be even longer. So there will be a few teams and games that I mention and then I'll gloss over that team and we'll just keep moving on because that team might not really have anything else to say about the national title conversation as the season goes on. So those are some things that I just wanted to tell you up front. But anyway, let's start the 1990 season with the preseason AP poll, which I know we love. Number one this year going into the 1990 season was Miami. Of course, they were the defending national champions. Number two was Notre Dame, who throughout the 80s had quite an up and down run, but have gotten a lot better as the 1990s began. Number three was Auburn, who we'll get more into throughout this season. Number four was Florida State, and number five was Colorado. And you would think I'm going to start with the number one team, but actually, no, I'm going to start with number five, the team I just mentioned, Colorado. Colorado has to be the start of this story because they will come up in the middle and at the end and a lot throughout this story and throughout this season. Colorado was starting this season in a preseason bowl game of sorts, as it was called the Pigskin Classic. This was in its first year, and it was created because the Eastern counterpart to this, the Kickoff Classic, was doing so well since it started seven years before that. 
So they figured, why not have a Western version of that? This game was being played in Anaheim Stadium and was going to be a big matchup as Colorado was a top 10 team, and they were going up against another top 10 team in Tennessee. And more on Tennessee in a moment as I get to Colorado again, who were coming off an emotional 1989 season where their starting QB for the 1988 season, Salonezzi, died from stomach cancer and they dedicated the 1989 season to him. They would proceed to run through the entire Big 8 conference and Nebraska and Oklahoma to get to the Orange Bowl to play Notre Dame. In that game, Colorado could do nothing against Notre Dame. They had three turnovers and they would lose 21-6 to spoil their undefeated regular season and national title, which I mentioned went to Miami last year. This season, though, the Buffaloes were bringing back their starting QB from the previous year in Darian Hagan. He threw for 1,000 yards and also rushed for 1,000 yards. Along with Hagan, behind him was probably their best player, Eric Bieniemy. You might know him now from, of course, all those head coaching conversations. But he rushed for 1,000-plus yards in 1988, but only played eight games in 1989 and wouldn't be dressing for the first game of the season versus Tennessee. This was because of an altercation with a firefighter at his mother's house when they came by to put out a fire at her garage. Yeah, really weird story, but this wasn't the first time he had some trouble and maybe why he didn't play too much in 1989, and that was because he had a bar fight in 1988. But even without the enemy, Colorado came to Anaheim and were ready to play Tennessee. Tennessee, meanwhile, were being led by Johnny Majors, and in 1989, they were 11-1, co-winning the SEC and winning the Cotton Bowl. This year, they were expected to be good again, as they were bringing back an experienced offensive line and also had two players that would be drafted in the next NFL draft, as they had at wide receiver future Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl winner Alvin Harper and a young Carl Pickens as a sophomore who would have a 10-year NFL career. Tennessee would put their passing game and those wide receivers to good use as they put up points in this game, as they had over 350 yards, but Colorado, too, even without the enemy, would put up some big yards yards, as they would use one of their many running backs they had on their team. His name was Mike Pritchard. He had over 200 yards in this game to give Colorado 350 plus rushing yards in this game. And Colorado was mostly an option and running type of offense. Colorado had the advantage throughout most of the way, as they were leading by 10 points for most of this game. But in the fourth quarter, points broke out as there were five touchdowns scored in the last 10 minutes, and Tennessee would get their last one with two minutes left to tie the game at 31. Colorado would have one more chance, but they couldn't get close enough for a game-winning field goal, so this game would end in a tie since there was no overtime. Due to the tie, Colorado would drop out of the top five and move down one spot to number six. That would be when the season would officially kick off, as on September 6th, Colorado would be playing this time versus Stanford on a Thursday in Boulder, Colorado. Stanford would coach this season by Dennis Green, who was formerly at Northwestern before going to the NFL for a few years to be an assistant at the 49ers under Bill Walsh. And even though Stanford wasn't really the best team, they always played everyone tough, and it was no exception in this game, as they shut out Colorado throughout the first half, and Colorado would have Eric Bieniemy playing in this game. In the second half, though, Eric Bieniemy and their rushing offense would wear out Stanford as they would get two third-quarter touchdowns. But Stanford would take the lead with a field goal 
and Colorado had to go on a last-minute drive. Capping it off with Eric Bieniemy punching it in with under 20 seconds left to give Colorado their first win of the season, 21-17, and make their record 1-0-1. So I'll get back to Colorado soon, but we have to get to another team that made some headlines this first week of the college football season. That was BYU. If you missed it, I talked about BYU's epic 1984 season in a previous episode, and I'll put a link above to that, but they were having their biggest game of all time, as they would be facing the defending national champions Miami at home. Miami were coming into the season with their second-year head coach Dennis Eckerson, and they had a plethora of NFL talent like future number one pick Russell Maryland, Jesse Armstead, and their future head coach Mario Cristobal. But the game was back and forth throughout the first half as BYU, behind their quarterback Ty Detmer, managed to throw for two touchdowns to put BYU up 17-14. After the half, Miami was able to take the lead, but only shortly, as Detmer and BYU took over the rest of this game, as Detmer would throw another touchdown and they would kick a field goal to take a 28-21 lead into the fourth quarter, and they would stop Miami from scoring the rest of the game to win 28-21 and upset the number one team and defending national champions. So now with the Miami loss, they would drop out of the top spot and a new number one, which would be a familiar face, would be Notre Dame. With Auburn coming in right behind them and Florida State right behind them, Colorado though would drop again to number nine due to them having to come from behind to beat Stanford and it wasn't a very good win to say the least. BYU though would jump up into the top ten and they would be the new number five team with their big upset. So we're not even two weeks into the season and there would be a new number one as Notre Dame would have their first game of the season and have to defend their number one ranking at home versus a top team in number four, Michigan. Notre Dame in 1990 was a powerful team behind their coach Lou Holtz, as Holtz was only hired five years earlier and had Notre Dame as the powerhouse everyone remembered them as in the 1970s and before that. The 1990 team was a little different though, as they would use more of a passing game due to a new highly touted quarterback in Rick Meyer. Meyer only threw 30 passes in 1989, as he was sitting on the bench behind Tony Rice, who was more of a running quarterback, and Rice led Notre Dame to a 24-1 record over those two seasons, including a national title in 1988. But with Notre Dame going through some changes, so was their opponent in number four, Michigan. So Michigan was starting the season for the first time in over two decades without coach Bo Schembechler on the sidelines, as he would step down just after the 1989 season, and their defensive coordinator, Gary Moeller, would take over the reins. Michigan would be led by their future NFL quarterback, Elvis Gerback, and they would also have a future Heisman winner in Desmond Howard. And Desmond Howard would do fantastic in this game against Notre Dame, as he had nine catches for over 100 yards and two touchdowns. Michigan would have a 24-14 lead going into the fourth quarter too, but Notre Dame would score two touchdowns in the final 10 minutes, with the winning touchdown being a touchdown pass from Meyer with under two minutes left to give Notre Dame this scrappy 28-24 win, and they would defend their top ranking. So while that slugfest was going on, there was another slugfest going on, this time again for Colorado, as they traveled to Illinois, who were coming off of a 10-win season and were looking to stay as a top team this year. 
And this game is pretty awesome to watch if you haven't seen it, even 30 years later, as it was back and forth, with it being 17-17 late in the third quarter before a Colorado safety would give them the lead 19-17. Colorado wasn't able to get in the end zone, as Eric Bieniemy didn't score in this game either, but they were able to add a field goal to give them a 22-17 lead. Illinois would eventually, though, have a late drive and take it into the end zone to give them a 23-22 lead late in the game. With only a few seconds left, Colorado would have one more chance, but their quarterback Darian Hagan couldn't throw them into field goal range and they would lose 23-22, putting Colorado now at 1-1-1. Oh, and we're not done with this week either, as during that Colorado-Illinois game, BYU would face Washington State, and this game was also another hell of a game, as BYU fell behind 29-7 at half, and many thought their top five ranking was going to go away after this week. But Ty Detmer added another great game to his Heisman resume, as he would throw for over 300 yards again, and got BYU to tie Washington State before the end of the third quarter, and then he would add on three more touchdowns in the fourth quarter to give them the 50-36 win and they would keep their perfect season alive. So now we're officially done with that second week of September and after the September 15th week the top five looked like this. Notre Dame at number one, Florida State at number two, Albert at number three, BYU would jump up to number four after their comeback, and Colorado after their loss would drop all the way to number 20. Next week, September 22nd, had Notre Dame win another close game over Michigan State on the road 20-19. And I don't want to go too much into Michigan State just yet because they will become more important towards the end of the season. Also this week, though, Colorado would face number 22 Texas and win by a touchdown, but it didn't improve their ranking even though it was another top win. But the most shocking game of the week had to be Washington completely obliterating number 5 and defending Pac-12 champion and Rose Bowl champion USC 31 to nothing. Due to the USC loss, the top four stayed the same, but now Tennessee would take over the number 5 spot due to USC dropping out. So we are now at the final week of September, and there would be a big SEC game happening in number 5 Tennessee versus number 3 Auburn. But before I get to that, something big also would happen during the day, as number 4 BYU behind their Heisman candidate quarterback Ty Detmer went to Eugene, Oregon to play the Ducks of the University of Oregon, who were coming off of a close loss the previous week to Arizona. Ty Detmer would once again have to sling it around the field, but he was in a world of hurt and trouble as Oregon was in full control of this game as they had a 9-0 lead after a Detmer safety and a 19-10 lead in the second half before extending that lead to 32-10 in the fourth quarter. Detmer continued to sling it all over, but it wouldn't do enough and the comeback didn't happen as he would throw five interceptions, including being picked off three times by Oregon's Daryl Smith, which was a rare feet then and a rare feat now. The final would be 32-16 and it would obviously knock the promising BYU out of national title contention. Now, I mentioned that Tennessee-Auburn game a moment ago, and we're going to go back to that right now. As Auburn was coming off of a 10-win season going into this game and a share of the SEC title the previous year, 
but they lost their senior quarterback and a couple of their starters from the season before, and they would also be using a freshman as their QB in Stan White. But even behind their freshman QB, Auburn was 2-0 coming into this game. Auburn versus Tennessee was a close game in 1989. In 1990, it looked like Tennessee was going to run away with this game, and it wasn't going to be close at all, as they were passing the ball all over Auburn with Alvin Harper showing off and giving Tennessee a 26-9 lead into the fourth quarter. But then Auburn, behind their freshman QB, would come back to tie it up at 26, and that was the way it would end, thus making the SEC title even muddier due to this tie between these top teams. So yeah, if you thought 2007 was crazy, we're not even through September yet, and the top five would be Notre Dame at number one, Florida State at number two, Michigan at number three, with new number four being from the ACC in Virginia. Now the reason why Virginia moved up that high was because they started the season at number 15, and after beating Clemson and being 4-0, they zoomed up the polls since a whole bunch of teams behind, since a whole bunch of teams in the lower top 10 kept losing. But I'll get back to Virginia in just a moment because they become very important to this year later on. Right behind Virginia though at number 5 would be a new number 5 with Auburn getting more votes than Tennessee even though Auburn had to come back to tie up that game so it's pretty weird. So if you thought September was crazy, um, October would be even crazier. And remember the top five I just mentioned of Notre Dame, Florida State, Michigan, Virginia, and Auburn? Because it doesn't look the same when the month of October is over. And the craziness of October would start in the first week of October as Florida State would play Miami. Miami was coming in still in the top 10 after winning two games handily after that BYU loss to start the season. Florida State, meanwhile, were 4-0 coming in and ranked number two, but really didn't beat anyone of value to start the season, so that's why I really haven't mentioned them yet. The Seminoles, though, were bringing in a great defense and a running game, led by a running back with a great name, Ample Lee, and they did have eventual Heisman Trophy winner Charlie Ward as a redshirt this season. And Charlie Ward could have been used in this game because Miami made easy work of Florida State as the Hurricanes were up 24-6 going into half. And even though Florida State tried to make a comeback, it wouldn't be enough. And the final was closer than it probably should have been as Miami won 31-22. Up next on the day was Notre Dame, as they played host to 1-3 Stanford. I mentioned Stanford earlier in their game versus Colorado, and they weren't a bad team as they lost their three games by a combined 11 points. But even though Stanford was known to be scrappy, the game didn't start out like that, as Notre Dame took a big 24-7 lead before the running back for Stanford made a name for himself. For real, he made a name for himself. The running back for Stanford was named Tommy Vardell. He ran for four touchdowns, mostly towards the end of the game, to give Stanford the shocking come-from-behind win, 36-31. After the game, Stanford coach Dennis Green gave Vardell the name Touchdown Tommy, so he actually made a name for himself in this game. But while number one and number two were going down, something even crazier was happening in Columbia, Missouri, between a team we mentioned before in Colorado and Missouri. Colorado were 3-1-1 going into this first conference game, and all of their games up to this point were pretty much dogfights. And this was going to be another dogfight for them. Missouri was 2-2 two two before the game under their coach Bob Stoll, who was giving Missouri some headlines after they beat number 20 Arizona State the previous week. 
The game was back and forth pretty much the whole way as there was four lead changes before the fourth quarter. And then the fourth quarter was even more insane as the lead changed four times just in that quarter. But the craziest part was the final drive, as Colorado was down 31-27 when their quarterback Darian Hagan completed a pass near their goal line for the first down. Hagan would get to the line and immediately spike the ball with seconds left. The craziness of the game and the fact that the field conditions weren't really the greatest, according to Colorado, it caused the officials who were in charge of the down markers to not signal a change of down after that spike. So this basically gave Colorado an extra down after the spike as it stopped the clock. But since no ref, or anyone else for that matter, told the refs that it was second down, it was now first down again for them. The not changing of the down marker gave Colorado four chances to get in the end zone instead of three, and they needed all four of them to get in and win 33-31. This error was pretty huge, and you can see it here, as the refs didn't notice until Colorado scored on that fourth-slash-fifth down. The game wasn't changed even after refs talked with other officials, Missouri, of course, was very angry at the end of this game and wanted this game to be changed. The game wasn't changed, even after officials talked with other officials, probably higher-ups, on the phone. They talked with them for 20 minutes, and who knows what was said, but after 20 minutes, Colorado was given the tainted victory. So now, after all of that craziness at the top, we now have a brand new top five, and it looked very different, as Michigan was now number one, as they were 3-1 and one after dominating in their three wins after that first Notre Dame loss. At number two was the very trendy Virginia team, who were now 5-0 and oh, and scored over 50 points in four of those wins. At number three was Miami, who we mentioned before, and number four was Oklahoma, who were new to the top five, and I'll get to them in just a moment. Meanwhile, rounding out the top five was Tennessee with a strange 3-0-2 record, and due to all those losses this past week, each one of the top five teams, as well as number eight Nebraska and number 12 Houston, all got number one votes, signifying the craziness of this season already. So now we're at the weekend of October 13th, which wasn't as crazy or as memorable as last week, but there were still two big things that happened this weekend. First was the Red River rivalry between undefeated Oklahoma and Texas, who were 2-1 and one, with their only loss coming to Colorado. Texas, meanwhile, were coming off the 5-6 and six season, but did beat Oklahoma the previous year and had the key to that victory starting in this game again this year in Texas quarterback Peter Gardere. This year, Gardere was the difference as Oklahoma would have a 13-7 lead for most of the second half until Peter Gardere threw another touchdown pass with two minutes left and Texas held on for the 14-13 win. Meaning that after this Texas upset, there would be some more changes in the top five and I'll get to that in just a moment because there was another rivalry going on this weekend and it was happening up in Michigan in Ann Arbor between Michigan and Michigan State. And even though Michigan State were coming in with a losing record, they still showed they were a really good team as this game was back and forth. And Michigan State actually had the lead twice in the fourth quarter, including with seconds left, before Michigan would score to be down by one point, 28-27. to New Michigan coach Gary Moeller didn't want to go for the extra point and tie against his rival, so he went for the win. 
on the conversion, Elvis Gerback's pass to Desmond Howard was incomplete, but it was not without controversy, as there was clear pass interference by Michigan State on Howard, as he did actually catch the ball, but he didn't fully complete the catch, and I don't want to get into a whole conversation about that. But this game was pretty much just like the fifth down game, because refs talked it out at the end of this game for a few minutes, but then called it for Michigan State anyway, and they won 28-27, to knocking off the number one team again in very weird circumstances. So now with a couple of losses in the top five, the new number one team would be the high-powered Virginia Cavaliers, which is a team I haven't covered until now. And that was because this team just took care of business as they were 6-0 to start. They had a great QB in Sean Moore, who already had over 1,000 passing yards, as the team was averaging over 40 points a game. And they also had another great player in wide receiver Herman Moore. No relation to the quarterback. Between this duo, they would tear apart opponents and beat Clemson in Game 2, which was the first time they did that in over 20 years, and I also mentioned it skyrocketed them up the polls. Virginia was deserving of the number one spot, and they would defend it a lot better than other teams the rest of this season. Behind Virginia in this poll was number two Miami, number three Tennessee, and number four Nebraska. And we're not at the end of October. No, we're only in the third week of October, and already number one has gone down twice. So has number two. And the weekend of October 20th had some upsets and some head scratchers, too. First, it was the Battle of Notre Dame versus Miami. I have talked about both a few times already, so I'll just get into the game, which was like most of their battles during the 1980s, as it was a slugfest. It was tied after the first quarter 10-10, and then at half, Miami only had a slim 17-16 lead. In the second half, the game would become a brick fight, with neither team being able to get in the end zone, but Notre Dame did kick field goals to Miami's one field goal, so Notre Dame had a 22-20 lead going into the fourth quarter. Then with seven minutes left, Rick Meyer would throw a touchdown pass to open up the lead more for Notre Dame, and they would hold on to win 29-20, and again, the number two team would go down. But even though a top team went down by another top team, there was a big head-scratcher going on, and it would happen down in Knoxville, Tennessee. Tennessee was 4-0-2 by this point after that tie to Colorado and Auburn, but they would beat down other conference teams and had a huge win the previous week over Florida where they put up 45 points. So Tennessee was flying pretty high at this point as they were unbeaten and their offense was good enough to make voters continue to give them first place votes and keep them in the top five. Meanwhile, Tennessee's opponent this week was Alabama who were SEC co-champions the previous year, but their coach Bill Curry would leave after the season, allowing Gene Stallings to be hired. Stallings was one of the most famous players to play for Bear Bryant, but at Texas A&M, not at Alabama. Stallings and Bama struggled to start the season as they were 0-3, but on a two-game winning streak after that, so they were 2-3 going into this game. And even though Alabama were coming in with a losing record, this game would be a defensive struggle, with Tennessee not being able to get in the end zone at all, and it would be pretty much a field goal duel all game. Tennessee's kicker Greg Harris hit a 51-yarder to tie the game earlier with 10 minutes left, and then would attempt a 50-yarder for the win with a minute 35 to go. But Alabama's Stacey Harris would block the kick, and the ball would bounce to the Tennessee 37-yard line, the Crimson Tide would advance the ball seven yards on three plays, giving their field goal kicker a little bit of room for his third field goal, which would be the game winner, 
and he would hit the 48-yarder as time expired, giving them the 9-6 epic win. So now this was another weekend where number two and number three would go down, while number one Virginia was in action, but they easily handled Wake Forest and stayed at number one again after this weekend. Right behind Virginia this weekend was number two Auburn who would move up a spot, number three Notre Dame after their big win, number four Nebraska, and number five Illinois who had a couple of big wins already like that win over Colorado. Now we're in the final weekend of October, and this would probably be the most boring weekend of the entire year, as Virginia wasn't in action, but everyone else in the top five were, and they all took care of business, except for one team who had a little more work than the others. That team was number two Auburn, who were in action on the road to face Mississippi State, who were 3-3 three and 0-3 three and and in the SEC. Auburn was looking for an easy win after they won the previous week over number 7 Florida State. Instead, though, Mississippi State fought with Auburn until the very end, as they would score a touchdown on the final play of the game to get Mississippi State within one, but the extra point attempt was blocked, thus not giving Auburn a third tie and continuing their unbeaten record. Along with that big game in the SEC, there was also another big one happening in the Big 8, with Oklahoma versus Colorado. Oklahoma was ranked in the 20s after two straight losses, but Colorado would roll over them for the Buffs' sixth straight win and making them now 7-1-1 and putting them back in the top 10 after a dominating and undefeated October. And after that final week of October and going into November, we would have a slight change as even though Auburn won, they dropped in the polls from number two to number four, with now Notre Dame being the new number two, with Nebraska at number three, and of course Virginia at number one. But now we are kicking off November 1990, which was basically a conference championship month because there was tons of huge games that ended up being conference championship games as there wasn't a conference title game until 1992 in the FBS. And with most conferences having round robin schedules, a conference champion was usually figured out in the middle of November or right around this point. But along with that, November was also a coming out party for one team that I haven't talked about yet. And there are a few reasons for that. The team I'm talking about is Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech were coming off of a really good 1989 season where they started 0-3 with two losses in the ACC, but then went on to finish 7-1 and and be fourth in the ACC. But with their 7-4 record, it wasn't good enough to get to a bowl game because there wasn't as many bowl ties as there are now. But that didn't matter for their coach Bobby Ross, and he called the 1990 season a revolution, as he knew he had his best team, and along with that he also had some great assistance, as his offensive coordinator was future Maryland head coach Ralph Regan, and his defensive coordinator and his defensive coordinator was future coach George O'Leary. The team was bringing back an experienced defense as well as a huge offensive line to help out their young sophomore quarterback, Sean Jones, who in his freshman 1989 season threw for over 1,700 yards with 12 touchdowns and 13 interceptions, as well as 300 yards rushing with three touchdowns. 
Plus, Jones also gained a lot of confidence as the team won their final four games of 1989. But even though the team was bringing back a lot of good and experienced players, they weren't a flashy team, and instead were a workhorse that would play their game until they eventually won. And it would work, but would also have a lot of close games. In 1990, they started the season 5-0, including beating South Carolina and ranked Clemson to be ranked number 11. But in their sixth game, they played 4-2, University of North Carolina, who were seen as not having much of a chance against Georgia Tech. But since most Georgia Tech games were close, this one would also be close too. The Tar Heels had Georgia Tech on the ropes all game and had a 13-10 lead into the late moments of the fourth quarter before Georgia Tech drove down and they converted a field goal as time expired to tie North Carolina and thus not ruin their unbeaten record. The tie didn't ruin their season, but it did hurt Georgia Tech's ranking as they went from number 11 to number 16. This game would also haunt them because it was treated as more of a loss, and you'll see that as we go on through the season. But even though Georgia Tech tied, they would win their next game over Duke to get to 6-0-1 as they traveled to play University of Virginia, the number one team in the nation. This game before the season was just going to be another ACC game that may have not been even nationally televised or had great interest, but now had very big interest and was going to be nationally televised on CBS. This will be the first and only time either team was on CBS that season too. If you have never watched this game, it is a fantastic game, by the way, that is still a good watch 30 years later. But the game was all Virginia to start as they dominated the first quarter and took a 10-0 lead. The lead for Virginia got even bigger in the second quarter as they took a 28-14 lead into half. The story of the first half were the QBs, as Virginia's Sean Moore ran in three touchdowns, while Georgia Tech's Sean, Sean Jones, kept up with a passing touchdown and a touchdown run. The second half was a different story, though, as Georgia Tech took over with two touchdowns and a field goal in the third quarter, and Virginia put up another touchdown for this game to be tied at 35 going into the fourth quarter. In the fourth quarter, though, this game would turn into a defensive contest, with field goals being the only way for either one of these teams to score. And Georgia Tech's defense was the one that had more plays, including an interception. That would help the offense be set up with two minutes left and the game tied at 38. Georgia Tech would drive down the field and would convert a field goal to take a three-point lead, 41-38. to Virginia, though, would have one more chance, with a Hail Mary at the end of the game, which wouldn't get in, so Georgia Tech would pull off this massive upset on the road, and for the fourth time this season, the number one team would go down. That Georgia Tech upset might have been the biggest game of the day, but there were a few other big games of the day. One was happening in the Big 8, with a matchup between Colorado and Nebraska. Nebraska is the team that I haven't talked about yet, even though they had been in the top 10 all season. But Nebraska was the usual amazing Nebraska team under Tom Osborne that had a great rushing offense and a tough defensive team that was led by Trev Alberts, the current Nebraska athletic director. This year was no exception as they were 8-0, scoring over 40 points per game and were giving up less than 10 points per game. To make matters worse for Colorado, this game would be happening in Lincoln, Nebraska, making it another incredibly tough game for Colorado. Nebraska would have control over the entire first half 
half, but they couldn't get in the end zone, so it was only 6-0 at half. Colorado would continue to have trouble in the third quarter, and Nebraska would add a touchdown to be up 13-0. But when the fourth quarter hit, it must have turned a switch on Colorado, and mostly on their running back, Eric Bieniemy, who basically won the game for Colorado, as he had four touchdowns all in the fourth quarter and 137 rushing yards to stun the Nebraska faithful, and once again, Colorado would score a huge win, 27-13. The score doesn't match up with the rundown of this game, but it showed just the weirdness of the season and also the incredible twists and turns and bumpy road for Colorado this year. Oh yeah, we're not done for the day, too. This all happened before dinner, as number one and number three would go down. As coming up in the nightcap, number 15 Florida would welcome number four Auburn to town. Florida was under probation from the previous coach, so this season wouldn't end with a bowl game or a conference title, but they could ruin some team's seasons, and Florida did just that. Florida was led this season too by none other than Steve Spurrier, who was in his first season, and he shook up the SEC because it was all about running and defense, and Florida was all about passing and the fun and gun offense, and also a no-huddle offense that resulted in them putting up a ton of points. So even though they gave up a bunch, they scored a bunch. The only team that was able to solve Florida's offense was Tennessee, as they beat up Florida 45-3 on October 13th. But otherwise, Florida was rolling through the season as they were 6-1 when they faced the unbeaten Auburn. Auburn coach Pat Dye wasn't too impressed with Florida's offense and didn't think it would do well in the SEC. And that was all Florida and Steve Spurrier needed to hear as their fun-and-gun offense put up 48 points behind six rushing touchdowns, and they beat down Auburn 48-7. to So now we have another week and some more massive upsets as number one, number three, and number four all went down, which resulted in a whole new top five. The new number one would be Notre Dame, who would reclaim the top spot with a 7-1 record. At number two was Washington. Again, another team with one loss as they had a record at 8-1. At number three was a team that was leading the Southwest Conference, and they were also undefeated at the time. That was Houston. More on them in a minute. Number four was Colorado after their big win over Nebraska. And at number five was Miami with a 7-2 record. And not at number six, but at number seven was unbeaten Georgia Tech, who, remember, just beat the number one team on the road. Georgia Tech fans had every right to be mad at this ranking, but the next week would help their cause as even more insane wackiness would happen. So I said there was a lot of insane wackiness that would happen, and you would think that the number one team would go down, but no. Actually, Notre Dame would defend the ranking this week, but it was tough as they played number nine Tennessee down to the wire as Tennessee had a lead in the fourth quarter before two Notre Dame touchdowns, and Notre Dame would pull it out 34-29. to the new number two team this week was Washington. I haven't mentioned them, and that's because after they beat down USC in September when USC was number five, Washington would lose the next week to none other than Colorado, dropping Washington, dropping Washington down to the teens in the poll for about a month. But after that loss, Washington would win five straight, including scoring over 40 points in all of them behind their All-American and Doak Walker Award winner, the inaugural winner that year too, Greg Lewis. And on the defense, they also had top pick in the next year's draft, Steve Etman. 
Washington was worthy of a top five ranking, but it was kind of a curse to get into the top five this season, as Washington showed it to USC early in the season, and the curse would hit Washington this weekend, as they would face UCLA. UCLA was going through the wackiest season ever, and I'll do a video on them this season in the future because it was incredibly weird. USC was 4-5 and five by this point, going back and forth with a win and then a loss every single game. It, it was very weird. And also, they won or lost most of their games by a possession. This game was no different, though, as Washington had trouble stopping UCLA, and it was tied at 22 with seconds left before UCLA broke the tie and ended Washington hope for a national title. Right below Washington in the ranking, and a team that would probably be helped with Washington's loss, was Houston. And Houston was an interesting case this season because they were a flashy run-and-shoot, mostly passing offense that were putting up gaudy numbers and had a Heisman candidate quarterback in David Klingler. And remember, Houston had the Heisman winner the previous year in Andre Ware. But in 1989, and in this season too, Houston was under probation from recruiting violations years before. So being that they were the only undefeated team left, it made some people wonder if a team that was on probation would win the national title. Houston could not go to a bowl game either as they were already 8-0 with one conference game left versus Texas to decide the winner of the Southwest Conference. I talked about Texas earlier as they lost to Colorado early in the season, but then they went on their Shock the Nation tour and went unbeaten after that, including going unbeaten in Southwest Conference play. But we're now going for the title against the best run-and-shoot offense that people had seen in years in Houston, which beat Texas in 1989 by over 30 points. The game in 1990, however, was not like the last year, as Texas dominated Houston all game and confused Houston's offense all game too, resulting in Houston committing four turnovers in the first five drives. Along with that, Texas would take their time getting down the field, taking time away from the high-powered and quick Houston team. And Texas would get in the end zone, being up 28-10 to at half and 42-10 to in the third quarter. Houston would eventually start to score, but they ran out of time, and Texas completed the huge win, 45-24, helping the national championship and the Southwest Conference title not go to a team on probation. Before I get to the poll at the end of this week, I want to mention one more thing that was also pretty significant. It was a pretty big upset that was happening in Auburn, as Auburn was back at home to play a non-conference opponent in Southern Miss. Southern Miss this season were coached by Curly Hallman, a former assistant at Alabama and Texas A&M, who was on his first head coaching job, and three years in, he had already gone to a bowl game and won 10 games in a season. But in 1990, Southern Miss was seen as a huge threat because they were bringing back a talented receiving core and had a QB that could get them the ball. That quarterback was none other than Brett Favre whose gunslinging ways were even more gunslingier at Southern Miss, with many games coming down to the wire. Southern Miss were coming into the Auburn game 7-3, and three, with seven games being decided by seven points or less, and a lot of them being decided on the final play. Southern Miss were also an independent team at the time, so they had no conference affiliation. But after looking at their schedule this season, you'd think they were an SEC team, as they played Alabama, Georgia, and Mississippi State all on the road in the month of September, beating Bama by one, but losing to Georgia by one and Mississippi State by three. 
With all those SEC games in September, Southern Miss would end their season, kind of like the beginning of their season, with another SEC game versus Auburn, and Southern Miss was already bowl-bound as they accepted a bowl invite to the All-American Bowl. Southern Miss would play this game like their other SEC games they had this season, as they were really tough. They stopped Auburn from getting into the end zone pretty much the entire game, as Auburn could only manage four field goals, but Southern Miss couldn't get any points, and they were down the entire game. But in the fourth quarter, Brett Favre showed what we would all see throughout his time in the NFL, a crazy comeback, as he got Southern Miss down the field and threw a touchdown with 46 seconds left to give Southern Miss the win and further ruining Auburn's season. So I just wanted to end that week with that little craziness. After that week, though, Notre Dame would keep their top spot with Colorado at number two now after Houston and Washington both lost this week. At number three, Miami, who now had two losses, but many people thought they were one of the best teams and maybe could be a national championship team as they could set up a bowl matchup with Colorado at the end of the year. At number four was our Georgia Tech team, who were making their first appearance in the top five. And right behind Georgia Tech was BYU, a team we haven't heard about in a while. We are almost at the end of the season here. We are at the week before Thanksgiving in 1990, and it was probably one of the calmest weekends of the year because the top five teams were all in action. Four of them won easily, with one team having a much different weekend. That team was Notre Dame. They were ranked number one and had two games left before they were going to the Orange Bowl, as this was still a time where bowl game invitations were given out before the season was over, like weeks before it was over. Notre Dame accepted the bowl game, but first Notre Dame would welcome Penn State to town, who started the season with two losses, but then went on to win seven straight to be ranked number 18 going into this game. The game was hard fought with Notre Dame having control most of the game as they had a 14-point lead until late in the second half. That was when Penn State would come back to tie it up and eventually kick a field goal with seconds left to stun Notre Dame. So now five number one ranked teams would go down this season with three of them losing all at home. But more about that soon when we get to the end of the season. So now after the Notre Dame loss, the new number one team would be our friends at Colorado, who after almost a year got their top spot back and at 10-1-1 had their season over with and were the Big A champions, meaning that they were going to go to the Orange Bowl to play against Notre Dame. At number two was Miami, who won their last four games by an average of 30 points. Right behind Miami were Georgia Tech, who were unbeaten at 9-0-1 and won the ACC after the weekend and were on their way to the Citrus Bowl. More on their bowl game coming up. At number four was BYU, who were 9-1 and only had the Oregon loss on their record. Rounding out the top five would be a surprising team, as it would be Florida, who again were on probation. They only had one loss, but they had no chance at a national title or the SEC title, even though they were the best team in the SEC that year. There were only two weekends left of the regular season. We're now in the last weekend of November, and this was a pretty uneventful weekend, as only two out of the top five teams were playing, and both won pretty easily, so many were thinking that would result in the poll not changing. 
But this weekend, however, pollsters kind of did a make good for the rest of the season. I say that because Colorado didn't move from the top spot, but there was a new number two as Georgia Tech would now take over that spot. Georgia Tech would jump over Miami due to everyone, I guess, now noticing that Georgia Tech was unbeaten and were ACC champions and Miami had two losses. Also, Georgia Tech had 10 first place votes over Miami's two. Miami was number three, BYU was number four, and again, BYU beat Miami at the beginning of the season. Texas, meanwhile, we're at number five. And we now get to the final weekend of the season. Colorado was just at home resting, and they really needed it because it was a crazy season for them. Georgia Tech, meanwhile, was in action. They were in Athens, Georgia for an out-of-conference game to play the 4-6 and six Georgia Bulldogs. And Georgia Tech really didn't have too much trouble in this game as they won 40-23 to conclude their unbeaten season 10-0-1 and were now on a 15-game unbeaten streak from the previous season. Along with number two being in action, number three Miami was also in action as they played San Diego State, who were looking to become a top Western team by scheduling this game versus Miami. And San Diego State gave Miami all they could handle, as they were in it for most of this game, but Miami survived 30-28 to conclude their season at 9-2. But some real craziness would happen at number four with BYU, who were also in action, but after everyone else had played already and when most people were sleeping as they traveled to play Hawaii. BYU and especially their quarterback Ty Detmer were celebrating because Detmer was given the Heisman Trophy earlier in the night and he would accept it while on a satellite feed from Hawaii. But the celebration would be cut short because BYU would have to play this game and it was a pretty big game for them because BYU were ranked in the top five and they would have to show up to keep that ranking. Well, that wouldn't happen as Hawaii was the team that would show up in this game as they tore through the BYU defense for 28 first quarter points as well as picking off Detmer twice in that time. By the start of the fourth quarter, it was 49-28 Hawaii, and Detmer and company couldn't catch up as they suffered a 59-28 defeat, spoiling this great season and really spoiling the celebration of Detmer's Heisman Trophy win. BYU did have an outside chance for the national title, but this loss really sent them out and sent them out of the top 10 as well. So the final top five before the bowl games were number one Colorado going to the Orange Bowl, number two and unbeaten was Georgia Tech. They were going to the Citrus Bowl to play number 19 Nebraska. At number three was Texas and at number four was Miami who were both penned in for the Cotton Bowl to play each other so that would be a big game with number five and rounding out the top five being Notre Dame. They were slated for the Orange Bowl to play Colorado. Now, there would be three weeks of practice and speculation as to who could possibly be named the national champion. Colorado and Georgia Tech wouldn't play each other, meaning we wouldn't get a true national champion. Plus, with Notre Dame sitting at number five to play Colorado, they could win it all in a scenario out of 1983 when Miami beat Nebraska, who were ranked number one, and Miami jumped from number five to number one to win it all. Plus, the Cotton Bowl would also be on everyone's mind due to it now being between Miami, a team that many thought were the best, versus Texas, who were ranked in the top five. 
And let's get to those bowl games, which of course happened on the usual January 1st, and it was January 1st madness with all of the big games happening on that day. Everyone's eyes, though, were on two games early, as the Cotton Bowl and the Citrus Bowls were in the afternoon. The Cotton Bowl was seen as a rebirth for Texas getting back their respect after a few down years, but were shown absolutely none by Miami, as they would make this bowl game famous for the amount of penalties that Miami had, and also the beatdown that they unleashed on Texas, beating them down 46-3. to while that beatdown was happening, in the Citrus Bowl, Nebraska and Georgia Tech were going at it, with Georgia Tech needing to win this game and win it convincingly, as pollsters would be putting out their final polls after the January 1st bowl games. And Georgia Tech would show that they were the better team and the number one team in the country as they dominated Nebraska all game. Georgia Tech was up 21 to nothing before Nebraska would finally score, and Nebraska would cut that deficit down to 10 as they were down 24 to 14 at half. In the second half, though, Georgia Tech would take over and give Nebraska no chance of a comeback as they outscored them 21 to 7 to win this game 45 to 21, and Georgia Tech would complete their unbeaten season in college football Division I to do that. And remember that, because happening later in the day would be the Orange Bowl. The Orange Bowl had national title feels to it, because it was a rematch of the national title game last year, where Colorado was undefeated but would lose to Notre Dame in the Orange Bowl, giving Miami the title, and also some people also voted Notre Dame too. This year's game, though, had the same feel, as Notre Dame and Colorado knew each other very well, so it was close and low scoring. At half, Notre Dame had a 6-3 lead after a Notre Dame extra point was blocked, and that would come back to haunt them later. After the half, Notre Dame added a field goal to make it 9-3. But right after that, Eric Bieniemy would answer back with a touchdown, and Colorado would hit the extra point for them to be up 10-9. The fourth quarter was back and forth until a minute left when Colorado would punt the ball to Notre Dame and the dangerous kick returner they had in Rocket Ishmael. Ishmael would take the punt and zoom it in for a touchdown. The punt return was sensational, but quickly after he would cross the goal line, a flag would come out and a clipping penalty was called, meaning there was no touchdown and Notre Dame would have to travel 40 yards or so to get into field goal range. Notre Dame couldn't do that, and Colorado completed their season 11-1-1 and getting some retribution for Colorado's loss the previous year. And now we are done with the season, and after the season, the AP poll would come out, and Colorado was still ranked number one, with only three voters changing to Georgia Tech. Meanwhile, in the coaches' poll, Georgia Tech was ranked number one, and it would be by only one vote. This was the closest coaches' vote ever. The vote of Nebraska coach Tom Osborne, who played both Colorado and Georgia Tech this year and thought Georgia Tech was better, made the difference. And if you watch both games, it's pretty clear that Georgia Tech was the better team. But if you look at the schedule, it wasn't shocking that Colorado was ranked a number one and also highly ranked pretty much all season. And that was because they played SEC champion and Sugar Bowl champion Tennessee. They tied them at the beginning of the year. They also played the Pac-12 champion and Rose Bowl champion Washington beating them and Southwest Conference champion Texas beating them. Plus their loss was to Big Ten co-champion Illinois. And that was by one point, so it really wasn't that bad either. 
Meanwhile, Georgia Tech's out-of-conference schedule was no match for Colorado's, and it was fairly weak as they played South Carolina, Virginia Tech, and Georgia, who all finished with records of 6-5 and five or worse. Plus, I mentioned how Georgia Tech tied University of North Carolina after a last-second field goal by Georgia Tech, and that game was treated as a loss pretty much by pollsters all year and was the reason why it took Georgia Tech so long to get ranked in the top five. To make matters worse, the ACC was fairly weak. Even though Virginia was ranked number one, they ended the season 8-4, and four, making that huge win for Georgia Tech look a little smaller at the end of the season. So in summary, and just to give you some more of my thoughts on the 1990 season and just to prove why I think the 1990 season is on par with 2007 in terms of craziness. Well, for one, the incredibly close vote in the UPI poll. I mentioned that Georgia Tech won the UPI coaches poll by one vote. That was because of Tom Osborne. But the AP poll wasn't nearly as close as Colorado ran away with it with 39 first place votes to Georgia Tech's 20 first place votes, so that's a little weird. It's also weird that the ACC is treated like a second-class conference this year. The Southwest Conference, they were treated a lot better than the ACC this year, and the Southwest Conference really didn't have a lot of good teams this year, and they also had a team that was on the death penalty this season because SMU didn't play in the 1990 season. But the weirdest thing and the biggest reason why I wanted to cover the 1990 season and why I wanted to say it's on par with 2007 in terms of craziness and strange things that happen was the curse of being ranked number one or number two or number th or pretty much anything in the top five. There were five different teams that were ranked number one this year. Notre Dame was ranked number one for four weeks two weeks at the end of September, and then two weeks in November, which is just weird. They had a loss already when they were ranked number one. But this 1990 season really just had a lot of character to it, like the 2007 season did. That just had a lot of character, too. There was just so many things to remember from the 1990 season, especially if you are an avid college football watcher or if you were young and started watching college football in 1990, you probably remember this season as being fantastic. And that is also why I wanted to mention it. I also wanted to mention it because it doesn't really get a lot of love. 2007, I always have a lot of people comment about 2007. And yes, I will cover 2007. That's going to be like 10 episodes because there's just so much to cover in that as well. But thank you so much for hanging out with me on this journey. Like and share this video with other college football fans. Also, make sure you follow me on Twitter at SportsWrong. Also, subscribe to the channel below. Ring the bell and check out my podcast. I have the link below as well as my Patreon as well. You can help out the channel in the link below. And thank you so much for checking out How the Year Was Won.